Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast. This is actually just the Jahan Dodson show because that's essentially the Penn State offense. He put on a show in College Park, Maryland, as Penn State takes down the ter- Terrapins, uh, which is typical at Capital One Stadium at, or Capital One Field at Maryland Stadium. Corey, tell me what you think about Jahan Dodson. Yeah, what an amazing performance by that guy. One guy. One guy was the difference in the game. Now, Penn State's defense played well, and let's give Sean Clifford some credit. He, he did throw for 360, um, but he put the ball in the money to John Dodson and let, and let him take over. And, uh, you know, I have a story up posing the question, is John Dodson the best receiver in Penn State history? And that's a good debate because Allen Robinson had 97 catches. He's one of the best receivers in the NFL right now. Uh, but in terms of just in college, John, right now, Jared has 71 catches, 900-plus yards. He needs 26 catches to, to equal A-Rob's school record. But the, the thing about it is, Jahan Dotson has to do everything for this team. There's no running game at all. I mean, even those Allen Robinson teams, which were bad, Allen Robinson made Christian Hackenberg look like a good quarterback, which was hard to do those teams could still run the ball. This Penn State team can't run the ball. And so, Alan, you know, John Dawson has to do everything, Jared, and that's why when we're talking about the greatest receivers in Penn State history, people want to bring up Bobby Ingram. Well, Bobby, Ing- Bobby Ingram played on the 94 loaded offensive team with Kerry Collins and Kajana Carter, and that team was loaded. So I, I just know this, Jared, when you throw the ball to John Dawson, he's going to catch it. He's going to make a big, big play. He's just a really impressive dude. Yeah, and, and the, what's crazy about Jahan Dotson is he kind of burst onto the scene last year. He was the bright spot last year in a dismal Penn State campaign, and he's been great. I mean, since, since he came onto the scene last year, I mean, he was okay, you know, the first couple of years of Penn State. Just really didn't light the world on fire. But, you know, you lose guys like Chris Godwin, Deshaun Hamilton, and there, there's been no – since Godwin left, there's really been no significant step down to the next receiver up and it, and you know, you go from Godwin to Deshaun Hamilton to, um, to now Jahan Dotson and to KJ Hamler too. Um, and, and Jahan Dotson, there's been no significant step off and, and no significant, you know, breakdown between the, between those guys. They're all, those guys are all playing on Sundays and 
you know, the big thing for me right now is that John Dodson is the Penn State offense. You can say what you want. Clifford was 27 of 47, 363, three touchdowns, uh, all to Godwin. 11 receptions, 242 yards, targeted 15 times. He had 68 yards after the catch, uh, which is absolutely uh, mesmerizing because of how much he did. And, and this is just according to the stat broadcast. And I don't know that how, how significantly accurate that really is because, man, he was just so incredible against Maryland on Saturday afternoon. Um, and, and there just aren't enough adjectives to describe how good that he played at, at this week and so far this year because his stats are continuously racking up. He, he's just a special guy. And again, it can't be overstated that this offense really kind of sucks without him. I mean, that, the, the bottom line is, you know, it's like going to the dentist watching Penn State's offense. If you took Jahan Dotson out of that offense, what would they be? Uh, my, my buddy Andy Stein, his colleague from Tyrone and Harrelton and Huntington newspaper. You know, he tweeted out, what would, what would Penn State be without Jahan Dotson? I answered five and seven. I mean, would they even be that, Jerry? The guy, the guy is just a really special player on an offense that is unbelievably disappointing. And we're going to get to Mike Yersich here in a little bit because I do want to touch on all this. I, I want to give Jared credit here because Jared wrote in our Penn State beat writer score predictions. Listen to this, folks. Penn State, no, wait, that's the wrong one. Yeah, Penn State, 35-17. Nittany Lions dial up some complimentary football in a win that feels closer than it actually is. This was 31-14. This was not a 17-point game. This was a one-score game till the end, till Talia Tungavailoa made a bad interception that Brisker returned for the touchdown. Jared's score was 35-7. You were, you were all on it, man. Yeah, every once in a while, blind squirrels find nuts. Um but, I mean, that's the, that's the Penn State MO, right? They make it closer than what it seems. You know, Penn State's score last week against Ohio State was closer than what it seemed. Penn State, I thought, at times last week against Ohio State was a better team. But at the end of the day, they didn't do enough to pull off the victory. But, again, you know, that running game is abysmal. The offense is abysmal. And we're going to touch on that in the second segment. But tonight is all about – or today is all about Jahan Dotson. You know, you know, I'm pulling up, you know, some of the notes on him. He's going to leave Penn State as one of the most decorated receivers of all time. And, you know, that's a that's a crazy list of accomplishments. We mentioned um, Bobby Ingram. There's Joe Jervicious in there. There's Deshaun Hamilton, KJ Hamler, Chris Godwin. There and Alan Robinson. Don't you dare leave out Deion Butler, who came to Penn State as a walk-on defensive back. And who held a single game re- receiving record until at today. 216 yards until today? Deion Butler was also the leading receiver in Penn State history. Right. I love me some Deion Butler because we talk all these guys, Matt McGloin, Trace McSorley, these guys that really overachieved in their careers. Jared, uh, that list that list has got to include Deion Butler. Right, and and I'm going to go out on a limb and say uh, Derek Williams was another great receiver uh, in Penn State lore. While he didn't didn't have the Sunday career that I think a lot of people would have liked him to have, um, but you know that's that's what makes Jahan Dotson so great. And and he's a leader by example. He's not the most vocal guy, and I think we saw that last year during um, during the 2020 season. 
he started to step up as a vocal guy. And I feel I really think that he is a pillar of strength, both as a leader and uh, on and off the field for the Nittany Lions. And I think that's exactly what they need on this team. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, you know, while we're singing his praises, Mel Kuyper Jr. Uh, wrote a couple weeks ago, has him as the number one receiver on his big board. Um, so he's a first round pick. We're not, I don't think we're just throwing out bouquets for a guy that may not do a whole lot in the NFL. I think John Dodson, because again, he catches every ball and he is an exceptional, an absolutely exceptional route runner. The, the reason Allen Robinson is a star in the NFL is not because he catches every ball, which he does. Allen Robinson is a phenomenal route runner. We saw it at Penn State that first year. Jared, you mentioned earlier how Jahan Dodson really kind of came out of nowhere a little bit last year. That's what Allen Robinson did his first year at Penn State. He had 77 catches, you know, coming into that, uh, I think, sophomore season uh, and, and really came out of nowhere and had 97 the next year. And he did it because he's the best route runner I've ever seen at, at Penn State. I think Jahan Dodson is every bit as good of a route runner in college as Allen Robinson. Now, will, will Jahan Dodson have the NFL career that Allen Robinson had? Or even a Bobby Ingram? I don't know. Who knows where you go, what quarterback you get with, if you get injured. But in college, in college, he is just sensational. Yeah, and j- listen, some of the routes that he ran today were just absolutely incredible. Um, you know, there's a touchdown, I believe it was in the first half. Uh, he just shook his hips and just whoosh. And, and it was kind of an in and up. And man, I think he got the entire stadium out of their jocks um, just on that move alone. And you know what? It, it's just one of those situations where the kid's good. Uh, kid's got some serious skills. Reggie Bush, um, who was one of the most lured um, running backs of all time. He was incredible. Bush, push, whatever you want to say. Former Heisman Trophy winner mentioned on the on the broadcast after the game that Jahan Dotson is the best receiver in the country. And, you know, it's hard to disagree with Reggie Bush. Yeah. I vote for the Bulletnikoff Award, which is for the best receiver in the country. Uh, we can't say who we're going to vote for for the Heisman and these awards. Uh, let me just say I'm giving strong, strong consideration to uh, Jahan Dotson for the Bulletnikoff Award. Uh, as we close this first segment, though, this is not a good Penn State offense. We are we are lauding Dodson and Clifford got him the ball and that was good. Maryland's defense is awful. This game and we're going to talk. This is what we're going to talk about in the second segment. How Penn State got lucky today because Maryland is not really good. Maryland shot itself in the foot time and time again, and yet this game's tied in the fourth quarter and Penn State very easily could have lost this game which would have been an absolute disaster. And they would have lost this game because their offense really kind of sucks. Seriously. Jared, I'm sick of seeing this nonsense, okay? you got one guy on the field that can do really, really special things. And the rest of this offense is massively disappointing. Corey, I hate to interrupt you, but we're going to take a quick break. And we're going to catch you on the flip side here when we are podcasting DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the We Are Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Before we heard from our lovely advertisers, Corey was talking about sucking. And the Penn State offense is absolutely atrocious. Uh, sucking it might be sucking might be putting it mildly, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, because outside of Jahan Dotson, let's I'm pulling up the stats here according to Staff Broadcast on the Maryland feed. Jahan Dotson made up nearly 95% of the Penn State offense. Uh, Penn State running game did not exist. Keevon Lee had eight, eight attempts, 50 yards. Da-da-da-da-da. Noah Kane, 10 yards, 35. Uh, or 10 attempts, 35 yards. Da-da-da-da. Tyler Warren, an abysmal fourth down play. Um, John Lovett with a notorious or with actually a kind of a special bad game for him. He ran backwards more than he ran forwards at the beginning of the game. This Penn State offense is absolutely horrible, Corey. You mentioned that it sucked. I think that's an understatement um, outside of Jahan Dotson. And let's not let, – let's be real here. Sean Clifford had 20 incompletions, 27 of 47, but still 363 yards and three touchdowns because Jahan Dotson – Build him out of a couple of disasters. Well, right. When you when you have a guy that's that good, I, I did the numbers here. Ninety five percent was a little high. He had John Dotson was fifty three percent percent of their offense. They had four hundred fifty six yards. He had two forty two, and Clifford did put the ball on the money to him uh, a good bit. But the issue just continues to be the running game. I went way out on a limb, Jared. I was so far out on a limb that the damn limb broke, man. I thought, could this finally be the game? They run the ball. Maryland gives up 160 yards rushing per game. They're 79th in the country. I threw out a gigantic number of 180 yards that maybe Penn State could get. Uh, They had about 110 when you take the sacks away. Um, But still, if you can't run on this team, man, you can't run on anybody. But, Jared, we talked about this last week at Ohio State, okay? Does Penn State have to throw the ball 50 times in order to win? Yes, Clifford threw 47 today, okay? And and the answer is yes. I mean, I don't like that they keep this running back rotation. Kevon Lee was clearly the best back in the game today, although Noah Kane did have some good yards. And yet they, you know, when Kevon Lee starts to get the hot hand, what do they do? They bring in somebody else for the next series. All right, if, if you want to, if you want to get your running game going, then why don't you try sticking with somebody, all right? And I'm going to go back to Mike Yersich here because I'm really getting – uh, frustrated with Mike Yurcich. I thought Maryland's dude today, Dan Enos, their offensive coordinator, called a pretty pretty darn good game. I mean, he put his guys in good situations. He made some 
really cool calls in some tough clutch spots. Uh, and then the, the receivers dropped balls and Maryland shot itself in the foot. We'll talk about that more later. But I mean, which one of these guys is the high priced $1.5 million offensive coordinator, Dan Enos or Mike Yersich? Because Mike Yersich, to me, for all that we thought we were going to get from this Penn State offense, it's a bland offense. It's either run the ball right up the middle or throw to Jahan Dotson. I, I just, I, as this season has gone on, Jared, I've just gotten more and more frustrated with the lack of ability of this Penn State offense to really get separation. And and it's it's an all or nothing offense. Either you get the gigantic play or you kind of get nothing. Yeah, and I mean, watching the game today, we're, we're you and I were fortunate enough to watch it from home, which is a completely different perspective than watching it in the stadium. The first six plays the Penn State offense was on the field for were absolutely atrocious. They went backwards more than they went forwards. Obviously, after that, it was a little different. Honestly, I thought the first team to, to 20 points was going to win this game, and honestly, it, that did happen. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard to describe the Penn State offense because you you hear all this high – Yersich comes in highly touted, and the, he's never really had an exceptional run game. But the run game was supposed to be one of the more um, more of the uh, positions of strength and one of the one of the abilities that this offense had with Noah Kane, with Kevon Lee, with Devin Ford, even and John Lovett. You know, he, they, you don't go out and get a guy to transfer from Baylor from the Big 12 to the Big 10 and not expect to play him regularly tonight or today or uh, on Saturday. It just didn't happen. It hasn't happened yet. They're six and three. Great. They're bowl eligible. They're going to go to a bowl game. They're Penn State. They're probably going to play somewhere around New Year's Day, depending on whether the wheels fall apart, which very well could happen. I've seen this team play without Sean Clifford. It's not pretty. Um, but this run game, it's abysmal. And I don't think it's the running backs because, again, Noah Kane has proven that he's been good. Kevon Lee, solid last year. Uh, John Lovett at times has been has shown flashes. This starts up front in that is the issue Penn State needs to really look in them, look themselves in the mirror at and say, how the hell do we fix our issues up front? I do agree with that. Watching the game on TV, I thought the announcers for the game were really good. Petros Papadakis, the former USC running back, I thought he, was, I thought he did a nice job on the play-by-play. Uh, -play. Play. I'm trying to find here, and I will find it before too long. Who, who, or on the on the color commentary of who did the uh, the play by play? Uh, I, I I'll look at it here in a second. Uh, but the one thing they botched badly uh, early, and they really they were good for both teams. And I'd never really heard Petrus Papadakis. Uh, he he was good. Uh, um, uh, to, to Dan Dan Helly, it looks like his name is. I'm not real familiar with him for the play by play. But they kept saying early on, Jared, that Penn State's needs more out of their running backs that they're trying to find the right running back. That's a bunch of BS. It's not right at all. Nope. You put these running backs on Wisconsin, Stanford, Iowa teams that run teams that have good offensive lines that can run the ball. Traditionally, these running backs are fine. Okay. So fine. Noah Kane is not look like Noah Kane, but before the injury, but at the same time, he's getting hit in the backfield every time. John Lovett, Kevon Lee, they're getting hit, hit in the backfield every – this problem is not the running backs. This problem is the offensive line. And I want to I send a shout-out to Neil Riddell from the Altoona Mirror. Brought up a great point on my radio show last week. He said, when you're in pass protection all the time, 
Okay. When you're in pass protection, you're a passing team. You're a pass heavy team. You want to throw the ball 47 times. Fine. Your offensive linemen, what do they do, Jared? Their first step is back. Mm-hmm. Their first step is back. When you're running the ball, your first step is forward and you got to knock somebody on his ass. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's this level of toughness and meanness and schematically and all these things with the offensive line that they're getting up there and, and, and it's a running situation that they are ready to knock someone on their keister. And, and I think that is a program problem more than it is a running back problem to blame Noah Kane or Kevon Lee or John Lovett. And I think the schematics are, are the issue here as well. I mean, this is the second coordinator in two years uh, for Phil Troutwine, and I'm not here to defend him. I think he did an okay job last year, given what they were, because the offensive line position is, 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 is you need to go deeper into the fundamentals. You need, there are a lot more fundamentals that go into that. You know, as a route runner, you need to know your routes, blocking techniques, wait, how to beat receiver or how to beat defensive backs, running backs, hitting the hole, hitting your explosiveness, carrying the football, those sorts of things. Well, you need to have good hands, hips, foot, footwork, everything that goes into being an offensive lineman is, and it's tough. And last year under Shiraka, Kirk Shiraka, who's now an analyst, I believe, at West Virginia, who I think they got thumped today by Oklahoma State, um, where your stitch was really came to coming of age. And, you know, now you've got this Mike Yurcich offense and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, it's tough. Last year, they had to watch schemes and fundamentals on YouTube. This year, they're actually at practice. They're able to work on these these techniques. And I don't know what they do at practice. I'll actually be able to go out to practice hopefully this week. And I'm sure just be able to see the kickers to kick. But, you know, it, it starts up front. Everything starts up front. And if you're taking two steps back on a run or a step back on the run, you're already beat. And you have everything's everything's got to be moving forward. Obviously, you can't do that on the pass, but it starts up front. And that's really where the evaluation needs to land, because I don't think that this is on the, the running backs um, wholeheartedly. I think there there are some issues like John Lovett. I thought he you know, typically he, he does a great job of getting or staying um, running in a straight line and running downfield. Today, he went a lot more side to side early in the game. Um, Kevon Lee is a powerful runner. But, you know, when you're going to hit two, three yards in the backfield under they and this is this has not been something that's brand new. This happened with Saquon Barkley, with Miles Sanders. Those two guys are playing on Sundays. Those two guys, Saquon Barkley is one of the best athletes to ever come out of Penn State. That's not up for debate, in my opinion. But he's oh, he's good enough. Great enough as an athlete to make the uh, make the defense pay, even if he gets hit hit behind the line of scrimmage. These guys, for as good as they are. Saquon Barkley they are not so you know up front they got to start they got to start blocking and I don't know that that's possible this year I agree you can't fix it at this stage Jay Juan Sider the running back coach uh, was uh, on a zoom call uh, the other day and you know he talked about how they've tried to start doing some uh, schematics uh, changes but I think it's it's really too late at this point you got Michigan coming in that's a good defense um it's just a problem that they won today and a win is a win is a win they broke a three-game losing streak they've got three games to go they got a chance to finish really really strong but at the same time these are program issues 
If James Franklin's back next year, and who knows, but if he is, they're going to have to fix this stuff, okay? You can't have this kind of running game. And Mike Harris is going to have to figure out a common ground. The things that work in the Big 12 with the air raid don't really work in the Big 10 whenever you've got bigger, stronger, faster programs – or, I'm sorry, bigger, stronger programs that actually do care about playing defense. They're not just out there playing, you know, pinball machine offense. Yeah, and listen, I don't – I mean, Penn State's offensive line has already just been a point of contention with since Franklin got here. First it was Herb Hand, then it was Matt Limegrover, now it's Phil Troutwine. You got it all starts up front. You want to be good. You got to dominate the trenches on both sides of the football. And Penn State did play good complementary football. I do think that the defense held their end of the bargain. It, the defense is uh, second in the Big Ten uh, in scoring and uh, in eighth in the country. That's good. The Penn State defense is not the issue. Defensively, they're playing great. Jaquan Brisker, Jair Brown played really well. I think Joey Porter's got to clean up some of his game. He's been making uh, a couple of a lot of inopportunity penalties within the last few weeks of the se- uh, last few games. But for the most part, the Penn State defense has held up their end of the bargain. They played really good football. Sure. They, they come up with big plays. They're really good in the red zone. They were great in the red zone today. Uh, and Brown gets – uh, the fumble recovery, there were, there were a couple key plays here. There's a huge play on uh, Maryland. They they were first and goal at the six. Center snaps it high. Atunga Vailoa can't recover it. Jair Brown gets that. That's a big, big break. That's, that's the other team shooting itself in the foot. That's nothing you did. That's like Wisconsin when they kind of botched some things in, inside the 10 against Penn State. Sometimes you need the other team to help you out and make mistakes. That was a huge, huge mistake because Maryland really got its offense going in the second half. The offense really struggled in the first half, but they got the offense going. Maryland finished, uh, guys, with 419 yards. Uh, Talia Tungabailoa threw for 371. Now he he threw the ball 57 times. (laughs) Holy smokes. 41 for 57 uh, with for 371, one touchdown, one interception. But the, the fumble was bad. The interception was bad. Uh, they were down 10. He, he throws the ball, you know, off his back foot under pressure. Brown takes it back to the house. So Maryland, Maryland shows why teams like Maryland struggle to win these kinds of games because you've got to make plays when the plays are there to be made. And Maryland's just not a good enough football pro. They got good, some good players, but their receivers, Fleming dropped a couple of huge passes um, uh, by low with a couple of, uh, a couple of mistakes in there. And, and ultimately Penn state has better players and Penn state didn't make the mistakes that Maryland made. Right. And Maryland, you know, Mike Loxley, I think has done a great job down, uh, down there with the ter- Terrapins and, but they did make a lot of uncharacteristic, well, not uncharacteristic mistakes, but Penn state was able to capitalize, you know, um, Brown's interception was great. The pick six was huge. That sealed the game, essentially. And that's exactly what Penn State needed. They needed that. But, they, you know, they made turnovers at inopportune times. Tagovailoa had a terrible uh, – um, uh, I can't think of the word right now, Corey. Uh, oh, intentional grounding penalty. Oh, like, that was bad, like, yeah. like, you know, it's just, just mistakes that really shouldn't happen for a Division One football team, but they did happen. And – you know what? Penn State was able to capitalize on most, if not all, those mistakes. And that's, you know, that's a that's a sign of a really good defense. Again, the defense is not the issue. The inability for consistency in the run game 
and offensively is the issue that Penn State has been plagued with all year, even against teams like Villanova and Ball State. It's the inconsistency of the offense that's really holding this team back. Yeah, and the good news is they did win, and the good news is for James Franklin, he saved himself a lot of turmoil. I think we're going to spend some time in the third segment talking about that, plus, you know, maybe some some looks at, at the national scene. But uh, this was three games in a row they had lost. They, they were able to snap that and, and just stop the bleeding. And when you're a wounded animal and you've got your back against the wall, you just need something good to happen, okay? You go back to 2016. Jared, you and I have talked about this a lot. They're in big trouble against Minnesota, big mm-hmm. trouble. James Franklin wouldn't be the coach at Penn State, I don't think, if they don't come back against Minnesota in the second half. That Irv Charles touchdown, Trace McSorley, the huge drive to tie the game at the end to go to – that saved Penn State football for this era and James Franklin. Well, I'm not going to say that this kind of game, you know, is going to have that kind of impact, but they needed something good to happen. They won. They've still got Michigan. Rutgers is just falling apart. Rutgers got beat like – 200 to nothing today against uh, against Wisconsin or whatever the hell it was. It was just bad. 52, 52 to 3. Oh, my God. Um, I didn't think but, Wisconsin's offense was capable. Right. Of but then Michigan State lost. So you've got, you've got two really tough games left if you're Penn State. What did you need to have happen today? Whether you played great or not, you needed to get a win. They got a win, and sometimes just getting the win and that confidence can be massive. Yeah, winning is everything. They won. They're bowl eligible now. That is huge. You know, last year everybody, if if you, you your, had, a, if you, you have you a football team, for the, get your tickets for the Outback Bowl yet? Uh, no, but I did oh. have a blooming onion earlier, and uh, it definitely bloomed somewhere that it shouldn't have. But <laughs> on that note, we're gonna hit this last break. We'll catch you on the flip side for the uh, third and final segment of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome back to the We Are Podcast on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I'm fresh off my blooming onion break. Corey, they won. Penn State is bowl eligible. James Franklin can breathe a sigh of relief, maybe even eat some comfort food that his wife cooks him once they get back with what seems like it's probably the shortest trip of the season. The Big Ten had an interesting afternoon. Indiana and Michigan are playing as we are recording this. Um, Michigan is up easily. Ohio State only beats Nebraska by eight points. Maybe they are actually back, even though um, Scott Frost has struggled mightily there. Illinois takes down Minnesota, who just gave an extension to P.J. Fleck. Um, Wisconsin dismantles Rutgers. um, And I've said this for many, many years. Rutgers is the birthplace of college football, but also where college football goes to die. That game played in East Piscataway. Um, Penn State beats Maryland by 17. Purdue takes down Michigan State and the Fighting Mel Tuckers by 11. Iowa, in what seems like the most Big Ten score ever, takes down Northwestern 17 to 12. The Big Ten East, 
is an Ohio State's game. Um, but, you know, Michigan is up there too. Michigan State has a setback this week. Um, Big Ten West is a tire fire. Uh, but, hey, Penn State wins. They still got some big games left um, the rest of the season. This was huge for James Franklin, okay? Um, if Penn State had lost this game against Maryland, and it was 14-14 to 14 in the fourth quarter, everybody, every Penn State fan would – I mean, maybe not every fan, but the calls for James Franklin's job – would have really, really started to grow. Now, just so everybody's clear, he's not getting fired. He's got a contract for five more years, you know. But the perception of what this would have done to James Franklin if they would have lost their fourth straight game uh, as a double-digit favorite again, the perception, things, everybody would have turned on James Franklin. Everybody would have turned. I've seen it in 2016. and, And when the fan base turns on you, it's hard to win them back. And so, look, will, will Franklin go to USC or LSU? Will those schools want him? Who the hell knows? They wouldn't have wanted him if Penn State lost today. I mean, because the bottom line is he's got to start winning games again. The leverage that he had, you know, a few weeks ago when they were the number four team in the country, had all the leverage in the world. If they lost Saturday, Jared, that leverage would have been down really to basically zero. So, James Franklin – has done a nice job at Penn State. They won this game. That keeps a lot of pressure off of him this week. And then you get to deal with Michigan and Harbaugh, and it's a home game. And, uh, you know, we'll see how that game goes. I mean, both these teams, uh, I, I think, have, have still have some question marks, especially offensively. But uh, James Franklin at least kept – kept he kept uh, the, the, the major, major critics at bay a little bit, and that was huge. And – and he does still have that leverage, a little bit of leverage, maybe, if he does want to go to USC. Well, you mentioned it. This team is four weeks off of being the number four ranked team in the country. Since then, they've lost three, they lost three, and then they just beat Maryland. How the hell were they the fourth ranked team in the country? Well, let's go back to the podcast you and I did and everything I wrote saying that you know, the win over Wisconsin was way overrated and the win over Auburn. Was over. Those were those were decent teams. Wisconsin's bounced back, and I give I give Paul Chris a lot of credit. There's there's great pride in that program. Uh, but those, you know, Penn State jumped up nine spots in the polls from 19 to 10 for beating Wisconsin. That was ridiculous. And then they beat Auburn. All of a sudden, they're number four. And so clearly, without without a doubt, Penn State was overrated at number four. Iowa might have been the most overrated number two team of this generation. I mean, I guess South Florida was number two at one point a few years ago when there was complete chaos in college football. But so clearly Penn State was overrated. Um, but again, by winning this game, James Franklin at least kind of keeps everybody at bay, at least is able to, to take a deep breath, uh, go in, talk to the young men about confidence and build on those kinds of things. And so now, hey, look. This group should have beaten Iowa. They would have beaten Iowa if Clifford doesn't get hurt. Should have beaten Illinois if Clifford doesn't get hurt. So, essentially, we're talking about a Penn State team that if it were the full team playing, Jared, they'd have mm-hmm. one loss right now. There is still some optimism that that maybe they can finish strong, 
Uh, again, the schedule is really difficult, but you can't finish strong until you get that that win for some momentum, and they got that today. Yeah, and listen, oh, the win is the biggest thing. Again, bowl eligibility matters. This is that's an extra month of development for this team, um, and they need it. And that's one of the situations. Like last year, obviously, you have that Champions Week, and I thought that was a really good addition to the Penn State or to the Big Ten schedule because it gives you that extra week. Penn State played Illinois, beat Illinois. That was right after. Brett Bielema, um, and it was hired for the, for the fighting Illini, but that you cannot understate how important that extra set, that extra month of development is for the Nittany lions. You know, they're going to end the season at Michigan state for the prestigious, the prestigious, prestigious, prestigious land grant trophy, which is the most beautiful trophy in all of creation. So you can say what you want about little league medals, high school medals, district six championships. That's the district that Altoona area high school plays in. There's nothing as beautiful as the land grant trophy, but to get to that point, you know, and, and to win that, obviously Penn state's got to do a bunch of things. It's not going to get any easier. The fighting Harbaugh's are coming in next week for a helmet stripe out, which I think is a really cool thing. Um, I think it's a little bit of over marketing for Penn state. Listen, it's Michigan's going to be ranked in top 10. You're going to get 110,000 fans there, 107,000 fans. You don't really need to promote it like they are. However, the helmet stripe out, I think, is going to be a really cool look at Beaver Stadium. I do like it. It's you know, it's another whiteout, aside for the you know, the sections up and down where they do the blue. That's a, I mean, it's cool. You get It Michigan looks like for- we're going to be in the blue section, Corey. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I, I like it. Um, do you think there will yeah. be some blue tint on the windows at the there at might Beaver be. Stadium? That's good. You brought up an interesting point about the bowl eligibility. I'm going to counter that by saying, who's going to be playing in that game? Not the opponent. I'm talking about the Penn State players who are, who are going to be playing that game. If they win out and they're nine and three, I think they're in the Citrus Bowl. And the Citrus Bowl is a very quality bowl game in Orlando against a high-quality team from the SEC. That's a good game. I really like the Outback Bowl. Eight and four, nine and three will usually get you to the Outback Bowl, and that's another quality opponent from the SEC. Bloom and Onions don't get along with me, Corey. I am going to have to sub, sub myself out of the Outback Bowl. But yeah, I, do like, I do like Tampa Bay and Raymond James Stadium, right Good across time. the street from the Yankee Spring Training Facility. Depending on where they go, look, I mean, typically receivers don't sit out of bowl games because receivers are not really the ones – you would you know, expect to get injured and hurt their NFL stock. So you would think John Dotson was, would play, but I'll just counter Jared and say, why would any of them play? Why would anybody who's got a, a shot at the NFL, this, this is where I'm at. This is going to piss off some fans. I know this because fans want loyalty. Fans want, you should do it for dear old state. Rah, 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 dear old state. If you're in a meaningless bowl game with the money that's at stake now, we are in a different era of college football. The, the old school folks that are saying, Geiger, they should play. Why? Because you want them to? Why? Well, again, I think Jahan Dotson will play. You don't generally see receivers skip out on these. Running backs, sure, you see them skip out if they're going to be gone. Linebackers, I mean – Jared, if they end up in, a, in a, an eight and four game that's, you know, even the Outback Bowl or something less, don't be surprised if there are some key Penn State players that decide to say, you know, they didn't go to a bowl game last year. 
they, they decided not to go to a bowl game that last year. So we, we need to we need to start understanding that these these college football players have a lot of leverage and there's so much money involved. And I wouldn't be surprised if a number of them were, would decide to say, you know what, thanks, but no thanks for the bowl game. Yeah, and normally I think that's a pretty fair statement to be perfectly honest with you because you know we dealt with that we deal with that every game. Is Saquon Barkley going to play? Is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? But now these guys are making money in college too. So this is another opportunity for them with name image likeness. Mm-hmm. Say Sean Clifford has, I think, a, a deal with the field, or or let, let's say that he has the field. It's a restaurant, um, and uh, uh, in State College. Well, hey, that's more exposure for them. So now you're running the risk, of, and this is going to happen. I think in a lot of bigger places like mm-hmm. say Clemson, Alabama. Well, hey, Bryce Young, dude. Hey, you know what? We got we got some extra money in for you. You go play in this bowl game because that's another week of exposure. You make the college football yeah. playoff. That's more exposure for our business, you know. And, and I think now we're going to see that a little bit more give and take there as well because at the beginning, you know, eh, nobody really gives a crap about you know crappy bowl games because these guys don't have sponsors. Now there are other businesses involved. I like your way of thinking. I really do. I think that's a very very valid point. Unless these athletes can figure out a way to get their money. And not play in the game. You see what I'm or, getting? Yeah, yeah. Or, or what happens when? Hey, say, say Penn State and plays in the Outback Bowl, right? In the Outback Bowl, the Outback Outback Restaurant comes up and says, "Hey, John yep. Dotson, yep. you want limitless, limitless blooming onions?" My body tells me no. John Dotson's might tell tell him yes. Like or they it. or they offer money. Now we see a situation where, hey, listen, uh we can get you a couple hundred thousand, or maybe not a hundred thousand, but a couple thousand dollars if you play in this game. Yeah, sure. And then they'll have to weigh that on if I get hurt, maybe I lose $400,000. Again, I think we're jumping the gun a little bit on this because it's still a month away. Fans need to understand what we're talking about here. If you're, if you're out there listening to the podcast, thank you. We, we greatly appreciate it. If you're 40 minutes into our podcast, we greatly appreciate it. These players don't owe you anything. They don't, they don't owe you the fan anything. And the sooner fans realize that in college sports, the better. Because there is still this notion that we've put our heart and soul into this. You should play. You should play for your brothers on the team and, and the school that gave you a scholarship. Folks, it's nonsense. I'm sorry. It's nonsense. I'm talking about a handful of people, about 25 guys. I'm talking about a handful of people that have potentially millions of dollars at stake. And the system that is set up right now in college football with these bowl games, if you're not in a major game, it's, it's a gigantic risk. It's a, everybody out there should be thinking, if I had to do this or this and $2 million were on the line, would you do it? I mean, that's really sometimes what we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, that's the risk of any game uh, at this point because let's be real, John Dotson's going to be a first-round draft pick, I think, uh, at the wide receiver position. You know, that's that's a lot of money. That's life that's life changing money, generational. And, and you know, that's an opportunity to, to change your entire family um, if you so choose. So. I mean, there's a lot of money at stake. There's a lot of everything at stake, to be perfectly honest with you. But you know what? Now, with the name, image, lightness stuff, now the Bulls can counteract and say, hey, listen, yo, if you play, we'll give you some money. Mm-hmm. And, and 
I, it's very early in the process. It's still November. We still have four weeks, five weeks until this all kind of gets situated. But the reason it's important today is because if you keep winning games, mm-hmm. if you can get to the Citrus Bowl, hell yeah, you might want to play in that. If you're in the Nashville Music City Bowl at seven and five, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm right. I, I'm probably taking, I'm taking, taking an exit there if I'm some of these guys. Right, and Penn State still has the opportunity, a top-tier bowl. I mean, the, the, the traveling nature of their fans, the fan base itself, you know, Penn State's going to find themselves in a top-tier bowl if they only keep themselves to three losses. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's always important to bowl committees. And, and anybody that I've talked to, whether it's been from the Citrus Bowl, the Rose Bowl, um, even the Outback Bowl and, and the Fiesta Bowl, Penn State draws. Penn State fans will be there in droves in the stadiums. They'll be in droves uh, watching, and they'll be in droves in the city that the, that the game is hosted in. And I think that's an important factor, too. But I think what's, what's going to be interesting to me, and, you know, we, get, we just talked about it here on this podcast, is how the Bulls get involved in players. Now, hey, say, let's say Sean Clifford is the MVP of the Citrus Bowl. Do you think he gets citrus fruit for life, or do you think they could give him maybe a, a $200,000 or $100,000 if they can afford it. Like Rose Bowl, do you think you, they're going to – obviously they're not going to give away a bouquet of roses. They're so, they're so expensive. But, you know, <laughs> you could get a couple hundred thousand dollars for winning the MVP. And, and that's, that's okay now because obviously the NCAA only really gives a shit about certain things um, like, you know, accepting imper- impermissible benefits. Like Kofi Coburn uh, for Illinois basketball – to, uh, sold things and donated it to charity. And obviously he has to sit out a couple games because that's the stuff that really matters to the NCAA, which I think is absolute bullshit. I apologize for my language. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of those situations. Now it's going to be interesting to see if the bull games get involved in that because that could be really Pandora's box moving forward. Yeah, I, I like your points. I don't approve your language at all, young man. My <laughs> My innocent ears are burning, but no, I'm just kidding. I would say the NCAA could suspend me, but uh, I haven't accepted any impermissible benefits. And if it's swearing or academics, they really don't care about it anyway. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating, and we are in such uncharted waters with all of this stuff. You mentioned the blue and onions. I uh, I don't know if these players are going to want that because that would put on a lot of weight or something. I mean, I would I would prefer the um, the barbecue shrimp. I like that. I'll take a bunch of ribeyes. I'm a big I'm a big ribeye steak person. So, but the the bottom line with this is everything that you just mentioned. We are in the learning phase right now. We are we are in trial and error. These bowl games, these teams, these players, everybody's going to. Hey, they're all going to be trying to get the most that they can. Seriously. They go to these bowl games, they get their $500 swag bags. If now they can get $5,000 worth of Outback Steakhouse food or Chick-fil-A food Monday through Saturday, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty sweet. I, I, I could see some of that stuff happen. Would you rather have the swag bag or would you rather take cash? Um, I don't think they have to pay taxes on the swag bag. So, and I think they would have to pay taxes on the cash. Don't, don't hold me to that, but I'm pretty sure that's how it goes. If you, if they just give you 500 bucks, 
I think you got to pay taxes on that stuff. That doesn't answer the question. Which would you take, Corey? <laughs> You're holding me to it. I'd rather take the cash, man. Let me go. Old, old time, Jared, you're probably too younger. Old timers, you remember the way Wheel of Fortune used to be back in the day? You remember this, Jared? You have any idea what I'm talking about? I do. I'm a big Wheel of Fortune fan. Vanna White you, you, was my first you'd, crush. You'd get like $13,000, and you then you'd have to buy all this garbage. All right, Pat, I'll take the uh, sunglasses for $415. I'll take the lamp. For $740. What? What the hell? Those prices were outrageous. Give me the cash, man. Straight cash, homie, like Randy Moss. You believe that, man? The Wheel of Fortune was the biggest ripoff on TV. Uh yeah. Give me that, give me that 13-inch color screen TV for four thousand dollars, Pat. Four thousand dollars for a 13-inch TV? That's impressive <laughs> considering every laptop monitor known to man now is 13 or more inches. <laughs> And there's far less than $4,000. This is why people should listen to the last five minutes of our podcast. Don't just tune in for the first five minutes where you get our hot takes. We, we get it rolling here at the end, folks. And speaking of rolls, Corey, we have a wager on the line here. Where are we at in our season standings? I think we're tied. Is that correct? I picked nine and three. You picked a – what would you pick? I, I believe I said, well, I think I said 10 and 2 or 11. Yeah, no, 11 and 2. Oh, I know. You're taking me to the Allegro. Well, let's see. Well, we're, we're going week by week, so there's still a chance. I think we're pretty even as far as week by week goes, correct? Sounds like you're changing the rules up. Sounds like well, there like are I no got rules. nine and three. I got nine and three. You got ten and two. We mentioned the out. We, we mentioned the Outback Bowl. They're uh, they're saying is no rules, just right. For folks listening to this who aren't in Altoona, Pennsylvania, the the Allegro is one of our high end restaurants here. Steaks are like thirty eight dollars, and the baked potatoes like nine dollars. So Jared's on the hook here for a fifty dollar meal, and we're not going to Mindy's for soup. Jared, if I say we're not going to Mindy's for soup. You know what the hell I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Corey. Unfortunately. Seinfeld. Soup's not a meal. So you're no. taking me for a meal. You owe me a meal. I Listen, I owe you a lot of things, Corey. <laughs> a meal is just the start. But for that, for Corey Geiger, I'm Jared Pruvar. We appreciate you, as always, for listening, putting up with our shenanigans. We'll catch you next week after the Helmet Strafe game at Beaver Stadium on the We Are Podcast and DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network.